Welcome back. It is another episode of the Saturday Six Podcast. I'm AJ. He is Tyler. And we are live from the Saturday Six studio. Yes, sir. We are we're in the same building for this podcast. First time since uh, week one. And uh, just excited to get back um, into talking college football, man. Last week, I mean, just an absolutely loaded slate of games. We had uh, potentially, you know, some some huge playoff implications in a lot of these games, obviously, um, some top 10 showdowns, and uh, a lot of those games lived up to the hype. What do you think? Dude, it was craziness. It was excitement. It was everything that you want in a college football uh, slate of games for the week. Um, I enjoyed watching every minute of it, so let's just jump right into them and get them covered. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of good games last week. Um, we can go ahead and jump into some of those games. We picked six against the spread like we normally do. And uh, week 10, we did okay. Um, we're still killing it uh, straight up. Like uh, our, our record straight up last week, we both went um, two and four against the spread. And uh, I went four and two straight up. You went two and four straight up. We were on different sides for a couple of those games. But uh, let's start with one that we had some interest in because it was a team that wasn't getting a lot of respect in the college football playoff rankings. And we thought, or at least I thought last week, that this could be a potential trap game. Um, you had Texas Tech going on the road against TCU. TCU, big eight and a half point favorite at home. And uh, this game was interesting because Texas Tech, I called it. I mean, they had TCU on the ropes. They're leading 17 to 13 in the fourth quarter. And then TCU outscores them 21 to seven in the final 13 and a half minutes of that game. Um, we touched on this TCU offense, man. They're electric. They know how to put up points. Um, but one thing we haven't talked about is uh, their defense is pretty solid as well. Yeah, they are. This is a big uh, second half team for me this year. They've been really close in the first half of almost all of their games. I want to be able to see a more complete game from them where they just dominate from the very first whistle on. Uh, but it, it's a good win. TCU is still in the driver's seat for the Big 12, and we'll keep going with that. Yeah, big win for the Horn Frogs, and they have a massive showdown this week against Texas. We'll touch on that in just a second. Um, but – Final points from me on this game. Uh, Texas Tech just really wasn't able to get anything going in their passing game. Their run game was actually really solid, but it seemed like they got away from it. Um, and it wasn't because they were trailing, like they were leading, you know, in the fourth quarter. So there's no reason why you should get away from that run game if it's working and, and your passing game is not. Um, Quarterback uh, on the TCU side, Max Duggan, a little bit shaky, didn't look like his best performance, but still solid. Um, he was missing his star wide receiver, Quentin Johnson, who had a lower body injury. They held him out of that game, I think, with the idea of just having him 100% healthy for this Texas game. I think that's probably a good call. Um, but that running back, man, Kendra Miller, we talk a lot about Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, all those stud running backs across college football. I think you've got to mention Kendra Miller in that discussion. 158 yards and a touchdown last week. He looks um, about as solid as they come as far as running backs in college football right now. 
Yeah, the kid's a stud. Uh, to touch on one thing that you mentioned, uh, getting away from the run game to start and uh, using the passing game more. In a game, I would understand it more if you were up big, um, but this was a 10-point win for them. If you're up big, I kind of understand, um, you know, if it's not working, trying to fix something uh, and having a little bit of tune-up time for next week. Uh, but when it's such a close game like this, I like to see them stick to what's working, stick to what's scoring them points, and just run that football a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's move on, man. This one was the one that we were um, all so excited for, us especially so, um, because we are Georgia Bulldog fans. We try to put our bias aside a little bit um, on the podcast, a little bit. <laughs> but uh, it was a huge showdown, man. I was in attendance for this one. I'll give you uh, my thoughts on just what it was like to be there in that game. But uh, it was Tennessee, number one in the country, undefeated, going on the road to Sanford Stadium to face off against those Georgia Bulldogs who were also undefeated. And they got snubbed. They were moved down to number three in the college football playoff rankings, but still favored by seven and a half. And we said that was big because um, obviously we thought, you know, um, these teams were pretty evenly matched. Um, obviously, um, you know, a big win for Georgia there. Final scores 27 to 13. The dogs get one of the biggest wins of the college football season. And really, that final score wasn't very indicative of the outcome because um, Tennessee really didn't look like they had a shot all day long. Yeah, this was a complete domination by Georgia. You start off Georgia on offense uh, for the first kickoff, uh, running back fumbles the ball, Tennessee recovers. And Georgia's defense, which was really the story of the game for me, uh, is able to hold them to three points. And this defense stood up all day long. They got the same amount of sacks this game as they had almost all season long. I mean, the pressure on Hendon Hooker was incredible. Uh, the Georgia was really able to make Tennessee play the Georgia game of football that Georgia wanted to play. They dictated the outcome of this game by doing that. Um, and then some really big shots uh, from quarterback Stetson Bennett. He runs for a touchdown. Uh, I believe he throws two more. Um, and, you know, it was just a complete dominance, very complimentary football. Even special teams, you have a 75-yard punt that gets down inside of the one. Um, so it was a really good overall showing by Georgia in that game. Uh, and you got to say that the, the crowd made a difference, did it not? Yeah, I wanted to touch on that because, like I said, I was in attendance for this game, and uh, you know there there was some there was definitely some hype already built around this game. But then you had early last week, former Tennessee quarterback Eric Ainge, who played for the Vols in the early two thousands, came out and said, "Stanford Stadium is not that loud. It has nothing um, on Neyland Stadium," and I think that ticked off a lot of Georgia Bulldog fans because. I don't know how to put this any other way, guys, but the noise inside of that stadium was deafening. Like, I'll give you a couple examples. So um, at one point, I'm, I'm sitting there with my father-in-law. He's got season tickets. And, um, you know, obviously, I, I married into the right family because he took me along to that game. But uh, at one point, we're all sitting there screaming our heads off. The, the decibel uh, rating on the big screen is up over 130. And I was just about to turn over to my father-in-law and get on to him for not yelling. And I look over right next to me and he is full on screaming his head off. And I couldn't hear him 
right next to me. That's how loud it was in the stadium. Um, it really bothered Tennessee. I don't think you can put it any other way. They had five or six false starts. Um, obviously, Hooker was not comfortable in the pocket. They got after him all day long, six sacks. Um, we uh, were all expecting this Georgia defense to take a step back after they lost all that talent to the NFL last year. And they have. They allowed six points per game last year. But they're only allowing 10 points per game this year. I mean, the these guys are young on that side of the ball, obviously inexperienced, but they are just as talented as last year's group. Um, we may see another Georgia Bulldog defensive lineman go as the number one overall pick in the draft in Jalen Carter. Um, but big plays by Keeley Ringo. He had an interception there where it looked like he was the run, the one running the route for the receiver. Um, the freshman Starks had 10 tackles. Um, the nickel corner Bullard, six tackles, two sacks. Um, but for me, I think what was the most impressive part of this is everybody talked about how explosive Tennessee's offense was going into this game, right? Nobody's been able to stop them. Georgia is not going to be able to stop them. They got to hope to slow them down. But what I came away from this with is that on the offensive side of the ball, Georgia was the more explosive team. Georgia was doing the things to Tennessee that we expected Tennessee to do to Georgia. Um, they hit a long bomb to McConkie. They hit a long bomb to Arian Smith. Um, it just seemed like they had that Tennessee defense on its toes um, all afternoon. And uh, on the other side, Hendon Hooker looked shaky. Um, he was not able to get the run game going at all. Um, he had 18 carries for only 17 yards. Um, only 195 yards passing, an interception, no touchdowns. Um, I mean, those receivers that they got on the outside, they're elite. I mean, Georgia was satisfied playing them man-to-man -man because I think Kirby Smart just knew, hey, we can match up with these guys. We can be as physical as these big receivers like Tillman, like Hyatt, like McCoy. Those guys are studs. I will not say a single thing bad about them. Um, they had decent games. But in the end, Georgia outgained Tennessee by almost 100 yards, um, and it was just uh, about as thorough of a performance as I have seen these Georgia Bulldogs play this season, including that beatdown of Oregon um, early week one. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I have, and I think this was a cause of the havoc that Georgia defense was able to cause on Hendon Hooker, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but – Hendon Hooker does not drop back in the pocket at all. He, you know, you you have some quarterbacks that take, you know, two to six steps, depending on, you know, your quarterback. Hendon Hooker gets the ball, and it yes, it's mostly because they have such quick reads and uh quick routes that he doesn't need a lot, a lot of time like that, but he doesn't take any kind of drop back. So when you're already like right on your offensive line. The defense for Georgia didn't have to go far to apply pressure. And when you're applying pressure, you start seeing them sail some balls or, you know, you're getting those sacks and uh, hitting the quarterback. I mean, Hendon Hooker's jersey was filthy, dirty at the end of this game. And I think that could be one of those reasons why. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think um, there were a couple opportunities where you saw, um, especially in the second half, as Tennessee's down 27 to 6 late there. And uh, Hooker had a couple guys open at a, at a few points in that game. He had receivers streaking down the sidelines. 
um, with probably, you know, three to five yards of separation with the DB, but he just, it was just out of their reach every single time. And I've got to attribute that to him being uncomfortable in the pocket. Um, he was just never really um, got into a rhythm. Their run game was absolutely non-existent. Um, I know they're running back small, got banged up, and uh, they were running with the two there. But um, just a, a thorough performance by the Georgia Bulldogs. They move up to number one in the college football playoff rankings. But Tennessee's not out of it, guys. Don't just write them off because there's a very real scenario. We saw Alabama do it as a 11-1 uh, and one team not playing in the conference championship in 2017. Tennessee could do that again this year, guys. So don't write the balls off quite yet. I still think they're a very solid team. Let's move on, though. Let's go to the Big 12. We had a huge showdown, Texas at Kansas State. Um, both of these teams with only two losses going into this game, but it was the road team, Texas, that was favored by two and a half. And we, we just sort of attributed that to them being the more talented team, although Kansas State was at home. And uh, Texas ends up covering that spread. They win that one by a final score of 34 to 27. Um we talked about TCU being this uh, second-half comeback team. I think Texas is actually quite the opposite. They are really good at starting fast, coming out in the first half, and getting big leads on these teams. They were leading 31-10 to 10 at halftime of this game. Um, Kansas State is able to make it a game there late, but um, I think in the end it was just uh, more talent for Texas and uh, Wildcats just didn't quite have enough there at home. Yeah, Texas just, you know, put Kansas State in such a deficit in the first half. I mean, they only score a field goal in the last two quarters of the game, but it was just such a deficit, and then their defense played solid enough to hold Kansas off. Um, and you got to attribute that to uh, Texas running back B. John Robinson. I mean, the kid's an absolute beast. We were a little bit uh, curious to see whether or not Adrian Martinez uh, played this game, and he does. He comes back, doesn't look hurt. He goes for 380 yards and three touchdowns, which is pretty good. Um, so it, it's good to see them back. Kansas State now uh, two losses on the year or three losses on the year. Um, we said that they were still one of those sneaky contenders that could sneak in if some things went right for them. But I think with this third loss on the year, it kind of just eliminates them from all hopes. Maybe once we see the 12 team playoff and, you know, go into effect, they still have a chance, but they're just going to be just out of reach of this now with TCU still playing so well. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like we said, big showdown, Texas TCU going down this Saturday um that one's got a lot on the line for the big 12 there and uh really the big 12 has still got a great shot at making the playoff um whether it's tcu or uh somebody else that can get some help in front of them but um let's go ahead and move on man let's go back to the sec this one was one that had a lot of intrigue because you had number six, Alabama, only one loss to Tennessee, but they were going on the road to Death Valley to face off against the number 10 ranked LSU Tigers, six and two on the year. And after losing to Tennessee and playing a few really close games, Alabama is still a huge 13 and a half point favorite in that game. And uh, they never, never really got out to a lead. Um, LSU ends up winning that game 32-31 to 31 in overtime. They uh, obviously went outright, so they cover. But um, 
man, I don't know. So many storylines in this one. I think for me, starting on the uh, when Alabama has the ball, the offensive game plan just looks elementary at best. Um, I don't know what they thought they had in Bill O'Brien, um, former Texans head coach, but he's just not the guy. I mean, a lot of times it just seems like um, the play breaks down and Bryce Young makes a play, finds a receiver in a scramble drill, and they're able to um, make something happen. But I don't know, man. For me, it just seems like we talked about it. Jameer Gibbs has got to be the focal point of your offense. If you're not getting him 25-plus touches a game, you're doing something wrong because you you just don't have the out, athletes on the outside that we're used to seeing. I think Ja'Cory Brooks is a solid receiver, but outside of him, they just don't have the weapons, and uh, their offensive line has looked mediocre. Um, it, I was just – I think everybody was expecting more from Alabama in this game – LSU there in overtime. They score the touchdown. They could potentially tie the game, go to second overtime with an extra point. But Brian Kelly, man, with uh, some giant cojones, decides, you know what? I got Alabama on the ropes at home. A two-point conversion will win it. And uh, it did. They they rolled Jaden Daniels out to the right, um, hit the tight end there in the corner of the end zone to get that two-point conversion, come out with a huge win. Fans storm the field. Um, LSU knocks off Alabama, but Jaden Daniels, 277 total yards, three total touchdowns. We talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago, how this kid is really starting to establish himself as a solid quarterback in the SEC after a really slow start to begin the year. Yeah, I got uh, four things to touch on. One of them piggybacking off of you. You said this Alabama offense looks elementary, and I think that's exactly what it is. I think that their playbook is – uh, for lack of a better term, dumbed down from previous years just because they don't have the same athletes and the same playmakers to be making those plays. You don't have Jalen Waddle and Henry Ruggs out there for the receivers, so you can't do all the same things that you did when they were there. Another thing, uh, I said last week, in order for LSU to pull this off, because I did pick them to cover, and they did, Jaden Daniels has to play probably the game of his season and he has to be really smart about the ball and do really well, and he does exactly that. Third thing, you touched on it. Brian Kelly just has a tendency to lose these big games where he needs to pull out the win. That's what he did at Notre Dame. And, you know, this is why Brian Kelly chose to move on from Notre Dame and go to LSU. He thought that LSU gave him more of a chance of winning those big games, and it, it proves it this week, and that's exactly what they do. Uh and then the fourth thing, and this is my biggest storyline, um, that last touchdown that ultimately won LSU the game in overtime, there was holding. And I'm going to say this for all my Alabama fans, there was holding on that play by LSU. That play should have got called back. That is not a touchdown, and I don't know if you back them up even further if they do score that touchdown. So I'm going to leave it at that. A terrible missed call by the refs, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely tough. Like they say, like, um, you know, there, there's pretty much holding on every play. It's just a matter of whether you call it right. Exactly. Um, they were not about to throw that flag there in Death Valley in overtime. I think you would have had a uh, 
a huge contingent of Tigers fans. Um, fans are storming the field one way or another. Right. <laughs> fans were coming out of the bleachers, whether uh, LSU won that game or not, especially if you throw that penalty flag. Um, but, yeah, I mean, nine penalties for 92 yards for Alabama. Again, we're seeing inefficiency on offense, mediocre defense, and undisciplined football. And that is just quite the opposite of what we've come to expect from Nick Saban and these Alabama teams in the last decade or so. So um, they'll look to bounce back. There is still a chance that Alabama can make it to the SEC championship game. They need some help. Um, LSU has got a big game against Arkansas at noon. If they lose that game and Alabama is able to beat Ole Miss, then it's coming down to uh, the last week of the season, it looks like, um, for whether um, we see LSU or Bama facing off against the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC. But um, enough on that game. Let's go ahead and move on. We still have three more games, excuse me, two more games that we need to touch on from last week. Man, hey, you got to give your boy some credit. I told you guys last week I was picking Notre Dame in the upset, and – it happened. I'm just saying your boy called his shot. You were calling me crazy last week. You had number four Clemson going on the road to South Bend to face off against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Clemson was only favored by three and a half. And we were a little curious about that because we thought Clemson's the better team. But, man, I mean, where do you start? No Notre Dame absolutely blew them out of the water. Final score is 35 to 14. I want to say they were up 28 to nothing at one point in that game. Um, this Clemson quarterback situation has just got to get figured out. DJ was inefficient all day long. He was a non-threat with his legs. We weren't, weren't able to see him threaten the Notre Dame defense with his legs. And then you bring, you bring in the five-star freshman, Cade Klubnik. You think maybe he can get us a spark. He throws one pass, and it's an interception. So I don't know if he's the answer either. It just looks like um, they're they're very um, just inefficient. That's the, that's really the word I, I can find to uh, describe that offense. And then on the other side, we were saying, you know what? This Clemson defense is going to get it done. They're going to keep them in this game. But that defensive line that we have ranted and raved about for weeks now looked pedestrian at best. I told you guys last week, the running back combo for Notre Dame, Estime and Diggs, they got 40-plus carries in that game last week against Syracuse, and they got almost 40 carries apiece again, combined for 228 yards in a touchdown. Notre Dame outrushed Clemson 263-90. to 90. Their quarterback, um, Drew Pine, was asked to do nothing because he didn't need to. Clemson scoreless through three quarters in this game, and uh, it was just Notre Dame all night long. It looked like um, Clemson just – just ran into a buzzsaw here. And they, I mean, even if they go undefeated the rest of the way, it's looking like it's going to be really tough for the ACC to get a team in the playoff right now. I want to say this is a hiccup game by Clemson, but at the same time, I feel like uh, hiccup isn't a word that does uh, how much of a blowout this game really was justice uh, right here. And I don't want to, you know, Yes, I said Clemson can get this done uh, and they're going to cover this game, but I don't want to take anything away from just how hard it is to go on the road in any college football environment and win a game. I mean, you see these big-time coaches that are winning, you know, all the games. And, I mean, even if you talk to Dabo Sweeney, 
it is not easy no matter who you play to go to a road environment and pull out a win and everyone should be treated uh as something really good Clemson's not able to get it done yes Kay Klubnik you know comes in gets a chance does something stupid uh ill-advised throw uh double coverage I don't think it's time to just write him off as no way that he can take over this offense. I am calling for it. I called for it at the beginning of the season. Let's get DJ out of there. And then I kind of took a step back and said, you know what? You know, maybe this guy had a slow start to the season. You know, he's kind of coming around. But you're seeing that that gradual decline again. And I think just the inconsistency from DJ and even some of the games he's won, he hasn't looked great. You know, I think it's – it's time for a change of pace. I think if you even want the college football playoff committee to consider you, if you win out and uh, win your conference, I think if you want the college football playoff to even consider you, we got to see that change. We got to see it. I'm calling for Cade. I actually totally agree with you, and that was actually going to be my next point. So I'm glad you touched on that because um, I think Clemson's best shot at making the playoff right now is to make the switch to Cade, win the rest of your games. You got a North Carolina team that you're probably meeting in the ACC championship game. They've got a big showdown with Wake Forest this week, and then they got to play NC State. If North Carolina wins out and they're eleven and one with a couple solid wins, and you've made the Cade, the switch to Cade, and you've won the rest of your games, I think you can make an argument for we weren't putting our best team on the field when we lost to Notre Dame or when we had a close win over Syracuse. I think you can make the argument that this, hey, we have a different team now with this guy at quarterback than, you know, what we did with DJ. So I think that could be a narrative that you might want to look out for. But still, it seems like the ACC is really kind of on the outside looking in unless you start to see some chaos happening in front of them because uh, Clemson dropped, I want to say, to 10 in the college football rankings. So um, definitely not what they wanted to see, but not totally out of it yet. They need some help, but don't write the Tigers off quite yet. They still have a chance. But with that being said, even Clemson doesn't have uh, a way to just walk through the rest of their schedule. At the end of the year, they still got to play South Carolina. And are they on the same level? No, maybe not. But South Carolina is a scary good team. And they can upset any team in the nation on any given week if the right uh, if the conditions are right. So they don't have just an easy walkthrough to an ACC championship. But if they can get it done, they get a little bit of help. I do think they still may have a chance. Yep, absolutely. Let's move on. Let's touch on that last game that we picked for our Saturday six last week. You had a number 21 Wake Forest 6-2 and two going on the road against a ranked NC State Wolfpack team that was also 6-2. and two. And it was the road team, Wake Forest, that was favored by four in this game. And we were both on that Wake Forest side. We just thought, you know, uh, obviously NC State missing their starting quarterback, Devin Leary. We just didn't think they had quite enough to slow down this Wake Forest offense, but they did. Final score is 30-21. to 21. NC State not only wins that game outright, but by nine points. And uh, for me, this one was just uh, – it was a curious game because while Sam Hartman looked really good at certain times in this game, I mean, he threw for nearly 400 yards, had two touchdowns. He also threw three interceptions. 
And that's just not going to win you big time ball games, especially when you're playing in conference against solid teams that are ranked in the top 25. You can't throw three interceptions and expect your team to be in it there at the end. Um, they had to rely on the passing game because this Wake Forest team has no run game whatsoever. Um, I do love that combination of Sam Hartman and that receiver that they have on the outside, number nine, A.T. Perry. He had 12 catches for 159 yards and a touchdown. So um, they've got the weapons on offense to get it done. You just can't turn the ball over. And then on the other side for NC State, we talked about Devin Leary not being there anymore. And we kind of wrote NC State off for the rest of the year, knowing that they didn't have their quarterback, knowing what we knew about um, just sort of the way they've looked in some of these ACC games. But uh, the, the backup, MJ Morris, came in and, and performed really well, 210 yards, three touchdowns, was able to get the job done there at home for the Wolfpack. What were your thoughts uh, when you saw that final score? Because we were both taking Wake Forest to uh, win by more than four. And what the heck do I know at this point, man? I've been uh, an NC State hater all year. You know, I'll take that on the chin as what it is. Uh, I gave them no shot in this game, and they proved me wrong. Uh, so we'll just add NC State along with uh, Big 12 as – something that I can just not figure the formula out for this year. I mean, it, it, it was a good game. They played a solid game, uh, took Wake Forest kind of by surprise there. Uh, we, we expected so much more out of Wake Forest. And, you know, these are two teams that going into the year, I mean, these were ranked teams. These were teams that we thought had a shot at finishing in the top 10 of the college football playoff polls. And, you know, it's just it's looked a little shaky and a little up and down for both these teams all year. Can't quite figure them out. So NC State might be a little bit better of a team so far, uh, but they're still most likely not going to make it to an ACC championship if they haven't already been ruled out. So uh, but both these teams have pieces. Uh, to build off of these are both young teams it's, it's not a ton of seniors on either side uh, so they got a lot to build off of and a lot to move forward with uh, looking ahead to next season if it's not too early to start looking ahead to that yeah I think uh, there's still some interesting games left on the schedule for both these teams we talked about that um, Wake Forest has got a big showdown with North Carolina this weekend. We'll touch on that here in just a second. But before we do that, let's go ahead and talk about those college football playoff rankings real quick because we saw some movement there, especially in the top 10 with a couple of those teams going down. So uh, as of this week, I was, uh, I was incorrect. It's Bama that falls to number 10. Clemson fell all the way to 12. Um, so Bama sitting there at 10. You have this – is, this is where I've got a little bit of a gripe. I'll say it. You got – UCLA sitting there at nine and then USC sitting there at eight. So um, those Pac-12 schools, both eight and one, both undefeated in their conference. I don't know. I think I like this UCLA team a little bit more than USC. I think they've got more quality wins and USC has just not looked super impressive. They won their game last night against Colorado, but Colorado is one of the worst teams in college football right now. Only one win on the season. So, I don't know. Me personally, I would slot UCLA ahead of USC. Um, do you think they have it right there with USC being ahead of UCLA? I've been uh, a huge uh, fan of both of these teams this year. It's kind of hard to say. I think UCLA 
you know, in, in a matchup together, I think UCLA takes the win again. Um, I think what they have with, with Zach Charbonnet at running back is is something special. USC has looked shaky at times. It looks like, you know, the chemistry and maybe the culture there just hasn't quite been developed the way that, you know, I prefer it to be. Um, and th- they will play each other eventually this season. So, you know, we'll kind of get that answer going on. Uh, but it's a it's an 8A, 8B. I mean, you, you could put either one of these teams at either one of those spots, and I'm comfortable with it. It's There's not so much uh, – uh, disparity between these two teams that, you know, it, it upsets me too much. Yeah, I have to agree. It'll sort itself out, obviously, there um, at the end of the year when they play. But uh, for me, I think, you know, a lot of hype coming in uh, that USC program and the stars they have on offense. A lot of people have talked about Caleb Williams. I don't think enough people are talking about this Dorian Thompson Robinson kid. I think he's had a Heisman S season so far. And if they're able to pull out a win over USC and he looks good in that game, I think you have a real scenario here where UCLA has a shot at winning the Pac-12. Obviously, they'd have to play um, Oregon in the Pac-12 championship more than likely. Um, But if they keep doing what they're doing, their only loss being to Oregon, who's sitting at six right now, I think think that's a solid program that we should not um, take our eyes off of quite yet. But uh, moving on into uh, further into the top 10 here, we had LSU move up from 10 to 7 after that win over Alabama. Huge win from the Tigers. And then this is where you see a lot of shifting going on. So you have Oregon that moves up to number six. Again, only losses to number one Georgia so far. It was a beatdown. But that team has looked really different from week one to what we've seen them do um, in the last several weeks. Bo Nix is just looking incredible right now. And the Ducks are rolling on all cylinders. Yeah, after week one, you wouldn't uh, have even thought that this would be, you know, feasible for the Oregon Ducks. But uh, can we start talking about Bo Nix for Heisman? He's a legitimate contender. Dude's getting it done through the air with his legs. This Oregon Ducks team is looking elite. Um, LSU props to him. That went over Alabama helps a ton. Uh, they're still – they're the only uh, – team other than Alabama sitting with two losses inside the top 10 and they're all the way at number seven uh, ahead of you know the aforementioned USC and UCLA one loss teams so that one's really interesting I think strength of schedule kind of plays into that Um, but then we'll get into these next couple and I've got some serious gripes about uh, where we go from here as far as the rankings go. Yeah, I think for LSU, the biggest thing right there in the negative column for them is that blowout win at home or that blowout loss, excuse me, at home against Tennessee. You could still lose that game, but if it's closer, I think they're getting a lot more credit. But because you lost in such a devastating way at home to Tennessee, I think that's really tough. And uh, I still agree that they're probably the best two loss team. Um, right now, so I don't I don't disagree with their their slot um, at seven, but um, let's move into the top five because we saw a team that was ranked number one last week lose. They fall to number five. That's the Tennessee Volunteers. They're the highest ranked one loss team. They've got solid wins, um, but like we said, they didn't look good against Georgia. But let's not write them off quite yet because there is a scenario here where if some things happen and they went out they can still make this college football playoff. Um, Moving into the top four, you have TCU finally getting some respect, baby. They're sitting. Max Duggan, Max Duggan. Max Duggan and the Horned Frogs 
finally getting some respect, moving in to the top four. And then you have two Big Ten teams right ahead of them, Michigan at three, Ohio State at two. We know that one will sort itself out here at the end of the year. And then our Georgia Bulldogs finally back where they belong at number one in the college football playoff rankings. What are your thoughts on the top four? I hate it. Uh, <laughs> I hate the top six, and I'm going to tell you why. So w- just to remind uh, our listeners right now, I'll go over the top six. One, Georgia. Two, Ohio State. Three, Michigan. Four, TCU. Five, Tennessee. And six, Oregon. And here's where my gripes come in. If I was making one today, Oregon is not getting enough credit at all. If, if it was up to me and I was a college football playoff, I would have Oregon at number four, bump TCU and Tennessee down one each respectively, TCU at five, Tennessee at six. I know it's a lot of hate you know, for Tennessee, but I think they got exposed. And yes, they have a big win over Alabama. But that they barely won that one the, at home. The wind doesn't look quite as good, and the wind doesn't look quite as good with a two-loss Alabama team sitting in number ten right now. And guys, Oregon has done everything that you've asked them to, other than a hiccup where they had to travel probably what like a thousand miles from oh, Oregon yeah. to a to Atlanta in the very first week of the college football playoff, where you never know what's going to happen the first week. Um, so, and it's against a number one Georgia team, which, you know, we've established is, you know, you know, so much ahead of the majority of college football at this point, I don't think Oregon is getting enough credit. And I think TCU and Tennessee are getting a little bit too much. I'd like to see that swap other than that top three, Michigan, Ohio state, Georgia. I love it in that order. It's perfect. Uh, we got a really big showdown late in the season between Ohio State and Michigan. Kind of sort that one out. That's where you touch on it. That's where you could see Tennessee still sneak in. One of those teams has to get bumped out, uh, especially if it's a blowout win. I think one of them gets bumped out entirely where you could see a Tennessee or an Oregon team uh, move up. I think if one of those teams gets bumped out and you know Tennessee and Oregon both went out for the rest of, of their season, I think you see Oregon sneak in, especially if they have a Pac-12 championship on their resume. No, I totally agree. I think we've seen this committee. Um, they've come out time and time again and said that they value that conference champion um, more so than the win-loss column. So I think there's a very real scenario where I'm just going to be straight up. I don't think TCU wins out. I think one of these last three games, they probably slip up, and that probably eliminates them from the college football playoff discussion. But, you know, Oregon has still got solid games left on their schedule. They're going to have to play USC or UCLA in a Pac-12 championship game. Um, So there's a very real scenario here where Oregon's only loss would be to Georgia. They're 12-0 Pac-12 champions. There's no way you can keep them out of the playoff I don't think there so um, definitely lots to look forward to lots um, outside of the college football playoff um, I still think there's a lot of um, meat on the bone to say you know there, there's still a lot on the line for these teams that may be out of the playoff but still could win their championship game and uh, you know wrap their season up on a high note so um, we'll, we'll keep our eye on that because there are lots um, of good games to come 
But that is it for last week's recap and touching on the college football playoff rankings as of this week. Let's go. Let's go ahead and move on to this week's Saturday Six. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right, welcome back. We have uh, got six more games to pick, baby. The Saturday Six, we're here for you guys. And I've uh, got some interesting games to touch on, so let's go ahead and jump right into the action. We got an SEC showdown for a couple of teams that could really use a win here. You got number 10, Bama, 7-2, and two going on the road to number 11, Ole Miss, just 8-1. and one. But it's the road team, Bama, that is still – getting a lot of respect by Vegas. They're favored by 11 and a half. You got a 3.30 kickoff on CBS. A couple of things I wanted to touch on here off the top. So we said, um, obviously, LSU controls their own destiny in the SEC West. What will be interesting to me is you got LSU Arkansas at noon, and we're likely going to have the result of that game before this game kicks off at 3.30. So there's a scenario here where if LSU beats Arkansas, they've all but locked up the SEC West. So Bama coming into this game against Ole Miss, and the same thing for Ole Miss, really. If LSU locks up the division at noon, and then this game kicks off at 3.30, what is the motivation for Bama here in this game? If they know they're out of the playoff, they know they're out of the SEC championship game, a scenario that we haven't seen them in in – 10 plus years. I think you got to go back to like 2008 was the last time that Bama was completely out of it this early in the season. Um, so that'll be interesting. Keep an eye on that because I think the result of that noon game, if LSU loses, Bama's right there in it, you know? So I think there's a scenario here where the motivation for this Bama team and even this Ole Miss team um, could potentially change based on that noon game. But let's talk about this game because there's a lot that we can touch on here, a lot that um, could make this game go one way or another. I told you, Bama's favored by 11.5, a team that has not covered the spread often this year, a team that has underperformed to expectations so far this year. And I don't know, man, this one's tough because for me it comes down to who can establish the run on offense, who can stop the run on defense. So we, we know, uh, obviously, Bama's got a talented running back in Jameer Gibbs. We've said his name a few times already. Ole Miss's run defense is just straight-up awful. There's, there's no other way to put it. They were ran all over um, by LSU. Uh, I want to say Auburn ran the ball for like 200 yards on them, and they haven't really played anybody. Like, their last three games are probably going to be their toughest three games of the season. So if I'm Alabama – I said it already. I'll say it again. Jameer Gibbs has got to get 25-plus touches. You know, some of those can be in the passing game. Some of those, uh, you know, it's basically a glorified handoff. You're just throwing him a screen out of the backfield, getting him the ball in open space, see if he can make a guy miss, see if he can make a play. Um, but then on the other side, you got Ole Miss, who's got a stable of running backs that have looked just as good as Jameer Gibbs. You got um, Keenshawn Judkins. This kid is special. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He is uh, right up there with the best running backs in college football as a freshman. As a freshman. And then you got Zach Evans, the former TCU transfer, who's 
been a little banged up, but when he's on the field, he looks just as good as Judkins. So, again, what's the motivation for Bama here? Like, when it comes to stopping the run, especially in the SEC, like if your heart ain't in it, you might as well go ahead and pack up, right? Because when it comes to stopping the run, you've got to want to stop the run. You've got to have some heart. You've got to have a little bit of dog in you. And I don't know that we've seen that from this Alabama defense. They're okay against the run. But, again, I don't know. Jackson Dart, the quarterback for Ole Miss, he's been okay. Um, He's really good with his legs. He's not going to beat you with his arm more than likely. And so I think even more, that means Ole Miss has got to really lean into this run game, establish the run early. Don't get away from it if you fall down by a score or two because I think they can hit some big plays. Um, But – I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on um, can Alabama stop the run? Can Ole Miss stop the run? Not likely, but can they slow it down? And what is the motivation to do so, especially if they're out in the SEC? The motivation for Alabama, I mean, pride. I mean, you're talking about the worst Alabama team that we've seen in over a decade. You're going to such a historic program, such a championship-level blue-blood program. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy that's remembered as the worst Alabama team in over a decade, Um, which, I mean, you might already be at two losses, but, I mean, you don't want to make that worse. Three losses looks bad. But let's talk about the motivation for Ole Miss here. They're one loss. Do they not need the same things as Alabama to happen to make an SEC championship appearance? I mean, they certainly still have, you know, the the cards are still there to where it can happen. Well, and on top of that, like the motivation is Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban, right? Yeah, just fuck Alabama is always motivation for every team. Um, But Ole Miss is got a better chance than Alabama if they win this game. And, you know, a little bit of help from LSU because they have lost LSU already. So LSU does have that head to head, but they there's a scenario where LSU loses their last two games of the season. And it's the winner of this game that wins the SEC West. So if LSU loses and the winner of this game wins this one and the rest of their remaining schedule, that's the person, that's the team that we see in the SEC West. So I think there's still a, a ton of um, of motivation as far as both these teams because they're not completely out of it. Um, but, you know, it's still to be seen. Obviously, you want to play. These are young kids. They're going to play their heart out every single Saturday. I don't think motiv- you don't need much more motivation than that. Uh, the motivation of wanting to make it to the NFL, the motivation of uh, wanting a big NIL deal uh, at the end of the year, what it may be. But I think that you hit on it absolutely. Jameer Gibbs needs to be the focal point of this Alabama offense. He's your best player. I know going into the year, everyone said Alabama's best player is Bryce Young on offense and obviously Will Anderson on defense. I'll still agree with Will Anderson on defense. As far as this offense, Bryce Young is not your best player. It is Jameer Gibbs, and he has not been getting the touches that a uh, focal point of an offense should be seeing. 
And, you know, a little bit of that is contributed to him. I have seen him drop uh, some easy passes out of the backfield. He's a really good back out or receiving back out of the backfield. He does that well, but I have seen him drop some things, which lowers your confidence as a coach and a play caller. But Bill O'Brien, dude, you got to get this kid the ball. He's a stud. You got nothing as far as your wideouts go. You need to, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. You need to get back to that old Alabama style of play that won you so many games over the past decade. You need to play hard, physical football, running the ball first, and then using that to force Ole Miss to stack six to eight guys in the box and then you hit them with the play action. That'll make your quarterback look better. It'll make your receivers look better, and it's still going to score you points. If you say that that type of offense is no longer working in college football, go look at who's the number one team in the country because that is exactly what the Georgia Bulldogs do, and they do it very well. That's the key to success. Ole Miss, you got to have a good game. Obviously, love Keyshawn Judkins. The dude is an absolute stud. If Zach Evans can stay healthy, that's a dirty one-two punch in the backfield there. And then they got Jonathan Mingo, a wide receiver. They they have the more talented offense. It's going to boil down to exactly what you said, which defense can get off the field and keep their uh, underperforming offense on the field. Nope, I, I totally agree with all that. So for me, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, which defense is able to slow down the other team's rushing attack? Which te- which defense do you think is more likely to stop those running backs? Because that's where my pick is going in this game. I'm going to have to give it to the Alabama defense. I've just I've seen a little bit more from them. They've got some really big dudes up front that can cause a lot of movement. And then I mean, you've got linebackers like Henry Toa Toa who he's got to have a huge I'm, game. He's got to have a huge game, but he is such a one he's fast he's physical he's not afraid to go one-on-one inside of a gap with a running back and i don't think this guy gets enough credit for how cerebral of a player he is the guy is smart man when you see these replays and they're breaking down things that he does he is smart he knows what's happening before the ball is snapped most of the time i mean the the guy is incredibly smart he'll be a huge asset to alabama this week and I think that's just what gets it done at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. I think Bama's got a better shot at slowing down that Ole Miss rushing attack. I think if they're able to make Dart a little uncomfortable when he has to throw the ball, I think that uh, bodes well for them. I love that you touched on Toto because I think he's a huge key for this Alabama defense in this game. I still think like 11 and a half is just too much for me. I, I we have not seen Alabama cover these spreads, especially as of late. Um, they're able to eke out these wins at the last second, whether that be with a field goal or Bryce Young making a play. Um, so I'm on the side of uh, Ole Miss covering this game, but I think I still like Bama to win this game straight up because uh, I think they're the more talented team, and I'll give them a slightly better shot against uh, stopping that potent Rebels uh, rushing attack. Yeah, through the first game, we're going to be on the exact same side. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. Ole Miss is going to cover, but the spread is uh, a little bit too big, but Alabama just has enough to win this game outright. I see it being more of maybe a touchdown game. 
Yeah, I see it being a low-scoring game, too, just because both teams will probably try to establish the run, which means that clock is running most of the time. So um, I could see uh, 31 to 24, something like that. 31 to 27 maybe is the win for the Bama Bama there. But um, let's move on. That's it for that game. Let's touch on one that I said we might touch on this week if both teams won last week. They did that. We have a top 25 showdown in the American Athletic Conference, the AAC, not the ACC, the AAC. You have number 22, UCF, 7-2 and two on the season. They're going on the road to face off against number 16, Tulane. Just one loss. They're 8-1 and one on the season with a win over Kansas State earlier this year. And it's the home team, the Tulane um, team that is favored by two at home. So kind of a pick em game. We could pick this one straight up. You got 3.30 kickoff on ESPN2. Um, big question in this game, is quarterback uh, is the UCF quarterback John Rice Plumlee totally healthy? Um, he was not in that game for them last week, but it kind of didn't matter. The backup, Mikey Keene, played really well. Um, I think the difference there is Plumlee's uh, legs. I think he's a much better runner than Keen. So I think him being healthy would be a huge boost for this night's offense. Um, UCF leads the American Athletic Conference in rushing yards per game, yards per carry, and touchdowns. But on the other side of the ball, Tulane leads the AAC in points per game allowed and yards per game allowed. So uh, I think it might come down to that. If Plumlee and that UCF Knights rushing attack is able to move the ball a little bit on this two-lane defense, I think they've got a great shot here to pull off the upset on the road. Yeah, I agree. For me, this game's all going to come down to quarterback play. Um, neither one of these teams is, you know, a defensive powerhouse or stud. I think it's going to have to come down to the quarterback for Tulane, Michael Pratt, versus whoever's playing for UCF. I think John Rice Plumley should be good to go. This dude is physically tough. I think that uh, if there's even a shot at him playing, that he wants to uh, be on that field. And if John Rice Plumley can uh, do what he's been doing all season on the ground, running, uh, and then you know throwing it over top to uh, guys like O'Keefe at wide receiver, then they UCF has an excellent shot at winning this game. It is a tough one being away. Uh, this line has moved a little bit over the week. Um, I think with the emergence of John Rice Plumley most likely to play, it's actually gone down to a minus one uh, for Tulane, a one point favorite. So with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the road team. I'm gonna go UCF Knights. Shout out to my boy Jordan McDonald, running back for UCF. Uh, in his freshman campaign right now. So we'll go with the Knights. Charge on. Yeah, I'm I'm on the fence with this one. Obviously, it's a pick 'em. So Vegas has got this one, you know, going either way as well. Um, I think we've seen UCF in this spot a little bit more. We've seen them uh as a contender in the AAC. And, you know, the the highest-ranked group of five team is gonna get a New Year's six bowl. So there's tons of motivation on both sides of the field here for these teams to win this game because um, there's a huge difference between playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game and playing in the Outback Bowl or whatever in Orlando. So 
Um, I don't know. You touched on Michael Pratt, the quarterback for Tulane. He's looked solid, completing 67% of his balls, 19 touchdowns on the year. Then they've also got a running back in Tajay Spears. He's gone for over 125 plus yards in their last three games. So um, they've got a they've got a decent um, balanced attack there on offense. But uh, I don't know. I, I I tend to agree with you. I think um, Tulane hasn't been in this spot before. It's a great story. Um, but I think UCF has got just enough, especially if Plumlee is healthy here. If he's able to, uh, you know, kind of um, be the dual threat guy that they need him to be, I think they should have enough to pull off the road upset here against Tulane. And uh, they'll, they'll be in a great spot to make a New Year's Six Bowl if they do that. But let's go ahead and move on. Let's go to the Big 12. <laughs> as much as I want to avoid this conference altogether, We've still got some great games going on. You've got 23 Kansas State after a loss last week. They're 6-3. and three. They're going on the road against a Baylor team that is also 6-3. and three. And the Baylor Bears, although they've lost a couple of games, their quarterback Blake Shapin and their running back combo of Richard Reese and Craig Williams is great. They've looked really good. And uh, they're two-and-a-half-point favorites right now um, at home. 7 o'clock night game on Fox Sports 1. This one comes down to a couple of things for me. KSU quarterback Adrian Martinez, he's back, and he's played really well when he's been the guy, but he's got to limit the turnovers. You, you, you've seen him time and time again um, lately turn the ball over, whereas early in the season, I want to say through like the first six or seven games, he didn't. He had maybe one interception, and uh, that, has, uh, that has definitely turned over the last several games. So he's got to limit the turnovers. This Kansas State run defense is not very good. So if you're able to get Richard Reese and Craig Williams going, I think that could be potentially a bad combination for the uh, Wildcats. But on the other side, like this Baylor Bears defense, they're allowing quarterbacks to run the ball on them. We saw Dylan Gabriel, the Oklahoma quarterback, um, have some long runs against them. We saw Spencer Sanders, the Oklahoma State quarterback, have some really long runs against them. So maybe Adrian Martinez is able to run the ball a little bit in this game and, uh, I don't know, just keep the ball away from Baylor. Baylor's defense, although allowing quarterbacks to run, they've been opportunistic. They forced eight interceptions in their last two games. So, uh, you know, if they can keep that going and maybe force Martinez into a couple of those turnovers that he needs to avoid, I think this one could easily go the way of the Bears. But uh, this one's tough. I'm right on the fence for this game as well. Yeah, one thing to touch on, Adrian Martinez is not the quarterback to turn the ball over. He only has one interception this season. Um, it's been it's been fumbles. He He's still turning the ball over. But as far as those interceptions go, he's been on the right side of that. Uh, but I think Baylor has a little bit too much on defense to be able to slow this Kansas State offense down. They're not going to shut them down, but they can slow them down and control the pace of play for this game. Give me Shapin. Give me Reese. Give me the Bears. I think they have just a little bit too much on offense, and their defense is just good enough at home to be able to slow this Kansas State offense down for Baylor to win this game. Uh, straight up. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. I think um, this one's tough for me because, like we said, the home field advantage usually will give a team about a field goal. Like if you say, oh, these teams are evenly matched, but Baylor's the home team, 
typically Vegas will favor them by three. And that's kind of right where we see this spread sitting at, at two and a half. So I think Vegas views these teams as evenly matched. I view these teams as evenly matched. I think the quarterbacks are about the same. I think the running backs are about the same. KSU's obviously got Deuce Vaughn. He's an excellent pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, they weren't able to get him going last week. But if they can get him going, oh, man, I think I might go Kansas State here just to be different than you. I was thinking Kansas State, and that's why I went Baylor because okay. it's the Big yeah. 12. And right. that's seemingly been the formula yeah and it worked for me last week right like i said i thought maybe kansas state would win that game so i went with texas texas ends up winning that game obviously so uh (laughs) should i do it as well i'm feeling kansas state so maybe baylor's the pick here um i think i'm still gonna uh that one's tough that one's really tough i think baylor is uh continues to be opportunistic on defense i think they force martinez to turn the ball over once or twice and I think that might be enough. I'm going to also roll with the Bears here to cover that two and a half. I think they've just got enough to where they can get it done on the road, especially if they're able to get that run game going. So um, sounds like we're on the same side for that Big 12 showdown. Let's head out west. We got a ranked on ranked matchup here. Number 24, Washington, sitting at seven and two, going on the road, going to Eugene, Oregon, to face off against the number six Oregon Ducks. Eight and one, and it's the Ducks here that are a huge, huge point spread favorite at home. 13 and a half. You got to pick them to win by two touchdowns and two extra points. Seven o'clock on Fox, another great night game to touch on here. What are your keys for this game? Because um, I think it comes down to the quarterbacks personally Michael Penix for uh, Washington and Bo Nix, obviously, for Oregon. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you're talking two guys that either are or at one point in the season were a Heisman contending pick here. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., the dude's nice. He's got over 3,000 yards already this season on 23 touchdowns. Then you're talking about Bo Nix where, I mean, this dude is in the Heisman race. I think he probably should be top two in the Heisman race this year just for what he's been able to do, not only with his arm but with his legs as well. And just his overall playmaking ability. I mean, this guy is fantastic. With those two guys being so evenly matched, I think uh, you got to kind of flip the script. You got to look at the playmakers around them. And then you have to look at the defense complementing their play, uh, which I have to give the edge to Oregon with. I think they clearly have a much better defense. I don't think that's uh, up for too much debate. Um but then it's up for debate is who has the better playmakers around them. But for me, I think Bo Nix makes the players around him better by the way that he can improvise with his feet and uh, just the different throws that he's able to make. Uh, so I think that's going to be the the key difference in this game, which is why we're going to take Oregon uh, to win. But uh, – you know what? We'll take Oregon straight up. We'll take Oregon straight up. Why not? Two tutties. Two tutties. Yeah, two tutties is tough, man. But uh, I, I agree with you. I think you touched on everything that I wanted to touch on there. Um, Michael Penix Jr. has looked great. And I think this is a very high-scoring game in the Pac-12. I think the over-under is in the 70s. 
in this game. So you're likely seeing both teams score 30 plus points. And uh, I think in that scenario, I like Oregon more. Um, I'm going to roll with the Ducks. I don't think 13 and a half is quite enough. I think this is a blowout. I think the Ducks continue to keep the momentum rolling. They've got a couple of big games coming up. Obviously, um, if they win this one and win one more, they're locked into a Pac-12 championship game. So uh, I, I think the Ducks have more to play for here. I think they're the more talented team. And so for that reason, I'm going to agree with you. I like Oregon, although this spread is slightly higher than I would like it to be. Um, I think 13 and a half isn't quite enough. I like the Ducks to win this one by two touchdowns or more. I think it's a big showing for Bo Nix. I think he continues to climb the ladder in the Heisman um, race. And, uh, you know, just just more to play for. I think that that that's what uh, is, is having me pick the Ducks here. I think um, obviously being at home, too. I mean, you, you're going to Eugene, playing in the zoo. I mean, that, that's just one of the toughest environments in all of college football, but especially in the Pac-12. I think that is a, uh, a bad bad scenario for Washington. So uh, we're on the same side again, man. We're picking all the same games here. We'll see uh, if that trend continues for the last two here. We have an ACC matchup. We talked about the ACC. They may be out of the college football playoff race as of right now, unless something happens ahead of them. But still, obviously, lots to play for as far as the ACC goes. Um, we've got number 15, North Carolina, who is eight and one on the season, only one loss. They're going on the road to a Wake Forest team that we touched on a few times this year. Wake Forest sitting at six and three. And it's the home team, the Demon Deacons, that are favored by not three, not two and a half, but three and a half. So Vegas thinks that the Demon Deacons have got enough here at home to uh, to win by more than a field goal. It's 7.30 on ESPN2, another night kickoff. I mean, you're going to have to have four or five screens going tonight in, able, um, in order to catch all this action. But um, for me, I think obviously the motivation factor for North Carolina is, is a lot higher than Wake Forest. They've got an ACC championship berth on the line here if they can win this game. Um, if they're able to win out and somehow beat Clemson, it's an outside shot, but I think they have a shot at the playoff. It's the percentage is probably less than five, but, um, I don't know for me, this one is interesting because I love North Carolina's quarterback, Drake may he's a freshman, but I think you got to talk about him in the Heisman race as well, because he is just absolutely lighting up defenses all across the ACC this year. Yeah, Drake May is definitely one of those guys that you have to look at uh, along. I think he kind of falls into the Stetson Bennett's of the Heisman race here where, you know, it's an outside chance, but uh, a big performance to end the season and to finish the season with each week could propel him forward there. Um, North Carolina with Drake May at quarterback, dude, they're – offense is just looking good i mean they're scoring points left and right they're not turning the ball over uh too much it, it, it's you know obviously you have a freshman at quarterback so you know you're gonna have a little bit of that but other than that i mean the thing with wake forest is you know and i hate that i say this so much but like it's you know such an up and down team this year they're either really great or they're not um, so it's, uh, it's interesting 
I think the over under here is 78 and a half. So huge. I mean, these teams are going to be each scoring like 40 points a game. Hopefully could be an incredible shootout. Now, if Wake Forest finds their way to put points on the board, I mean, we still have seen games where they're unable to do that. So there, there's also a very real scenario where Wake Forest isn't able to do this, and this could be a blowout. And that's exactly what I got. I got North Carolina straight up blowing Wake Forest out of the water. I'll take them by over a touchdown. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I like what you said there. I think this one is a quarterback battle, right? It's going to be high scoring. Both teams probably scoring 40-plus points. We've seen Wake Forest do that consistently. Other than the last couple of games, we've seen North Carolina do that. Um, this one this one comes down to the quarterbacks for me. you got Sam Hartman on the Wake Forest side that we've seen connect on deep bomb after deep bomb to A.T. Perry and some of these huge Wake Forest receivers on the outside. Um, they had Clemson on the ropes at one point. Um, they, they've played some really good games, and then they've fallen flat in some games. So for me, it's like, which Wake Forest team are we going to get? Are we going to get the efficient team that's able to stretch the field and hit their receivers on the outside, make big plays? Or are we going to see them come out and be a little inefficient? Um, Hartman can't have three interceptions. I mean, I, that that's obvious. Uh, but, you know, obviously cutting down on the turnovers is going to be huge for them. And, uh, oh, man, this one's tough. I think I like – I think I like UNC to keep this one a little bit closer than that three and a half. I think it is a shootout. I think it comes down to probably who has the ball last. But I think just because we've been on different or we've been on the same side for the last four picks, I'm going to fade you a little bit here. I got UNC covering three and a half. Wake Forest winning by a field goal, maybe three point win, 45, 42, something like that. Um, I think that's a, a very real scenario for this game. So uh, the first one that we're on opposite sides for, um, any any final thoughts on that ACC game from you? It's got a lot of implications to it. I mean, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Even though North Carolina is the same one-loss team that Clemson is, I think Clemson has gotten a little bit of recency bias in the poll that North Carolina is not going to get. Uh any help with for the college football playoff polls. Um, but if they went out right, they win an ACC, you know, they need something to go for them. Uh, it's just not likely. I think Clemson was the ACC's only chance of really getting somebody in this year. And they completely shit the bet on that by losing to Notre Dame, which we touched on last week. Um, but UNC has a chance. And, uh, other than that, their quarterback has a real legitimate chance of winning a Heisman, which, you know, the college football playoff committee will look at that. They love to have a Heisman in the playoffs or in the national championship. So, you know, if that's something that UNC can string together, it might help them out even a little bit more. I think that's a great point, actually, that you just mentioned there, because we've not only um, seen with our eyes based on the rankings, but the college football chairman last week, came out and his explanation for having USC ranked higher than UCLA was Caleb Williams. I mean, so they're, they're just straight out coming out and admitting 
that having a Heisman contender at quarterback plays into their decision-making process. Don't get me started on why. I don't think that matters whatsoever. We're supposed to be um, blindly evaluating these teams based on performance and based on wins and based on losses. So I don't know how um, your quarterback being a big-name guy factors into that whatsoever, but it does. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take UNC to cover, keep it really close game, but I'll take Wake Forest at home. I think uh, they've got just enough, especially if Hartman can protect the ball. I think, I think I'll roll with the Demon Deacons in this one. Let's go to our last pick of the Saturday Six. Man, this one might end up being the game of the week. We have a Big 12 showdown with a lot, a lot on the line here. You got number four. The TCU Horned Frogs have moved up into the top four. They're undefeated on the season, but they're going to Austin, a team that we have seen play really well at home. Number 18, Texas, is 6-3 and three on the year, and they're favored by a touchdown at home over a higher-ranked team. 7.30 kickoff on ABC, another screen that you're going to have to add in order to catch all these games here. Um, big question for me in this one. We touched on it earlier in the podcast. Is Quentin Johnston healthy for TCU? I think so. I think they held him out of that Texas Tech game to keep him healthy for this Texas game. But is he 85%? Is he 90%? I doubt he's 100%. So um, that's going to factor into this game hugely. I can't, can't undersell you the value of Johnston on the outside because we've talked about Max Duggan. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll drop it again if you guys want the, the Duggan clip. But He's looked like a different quarterback last, last week without Johnston, and that's because this kid is a potential top 10 pick in the NFL draft. This kid is going to make an NFL team a lot of money one day. He's going to make a lot of money in the NFL. Um, so aside from that, the running back matchup here is very intriguing to me. We know B. John Robinson is elite. I mean, that, that kid's got over – um, I want to say he's the only running back in the FBS with 800-plus rushing yards and 250-plus receiving yards. So he's dual threat. He can get it done catching the ball out of the backfield. But we're not talking about this Kendra Miller kid enough. This TCU running back is special. I want to say he's rushed for over 100 yards in like the last seven games. I mean, he's just looked like an absolute stud. When Duggan doesn't have it going, they're able to hand the ball off to him. And he looks really good. Now, on the other side, this TCU defense has been pretty good, too. We talk about the Big 12 and how these defenses usually aren't doing much. But this TCU defense has been opportunistic. They've been able to cash in on some turnovers. And I think if they're able to slow Texas down, now, sure, that's a big ask, right? Because Ewers has looked good. Not great. Maybe just short of great, but he's looked good. But uh, you've got to stop that Texas rushing attack or you've got no chance in this game. Like what you said, uh, I think the reason that uh, TCU doesn't look quite as good without Johnston is that he's such a complimentary player. He makes your quarterback look good. He makes Max Duggan look good. You know, he makes Max Duggan, Max Duggan, you know, it's freaking Batman and Robin over here. Uh what, what I think TCU has to do, and this is so important, I can't stress it enough, is they can't be the TCU that we've seen all year. They can't be the second-half team because Texas has the firepower. They have the ability 
to put you in such a deficit that you can't dig yourself out of that hole in the second half. There's just not going to be enough time because once Texas has, you know, put you in such a big hole scoring early, all they have to do is hand the ball off to Bijan Robinson and they're eating clock up, which is exactly what I think uh, was the case for the Georgia Tennessee game last year. I think Texas has the ability to do what Georgia did and, you know, put up big points early and then just wear away at this TCU defense with Bijan Robinson at running back, and it's just too much for TCU to be able to climb out of, which is a, is a very scary thought. I do think TCU covers, um, but I am going to take Texas straight up. I think TCU drops a game this year. I don't think that this is their year to go undefeated. They drop a game, uh, so we'll take Texas straight up, TCU to cover. Um, but, folks, find you a sports bar. Find you a Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, Saturday Six podcast is not sponsored, but you know, if Buffalo Wild Wings listen to this, uh, we'd like to have Bob Minery on the podcast. You know, you know, yeah, we can do something here, guys. Uh, but no, seriously, you're gonna need a ton of TVs because all the best games are starting at seven, seven thirty. It's electric. Uh, so what do you got? You got TCU. You got Texas as the home team. I love that you touched on um, both of these teams. We, we we said it earlier in the podcast. Texas is a first-half team, right? They jump out to early leads, and then they kind of let these teams battle back in the second half. We've seen that over and over and over again this season. And then TCU is quite the opposite, right? They fall behind early, and then they battle back. Duggan's able to get it going. Miller's able to get it going. Duggan connects with Johnston. And they battle their way back, and they come from behind, and they win. Now, TCU has been lucky in that they've played against some banged-up quarterbacks, right? So we've seen at least three of their wins have come against teams that didn't have their starting quarterback in that game. So I think that obviously helps them. And, I mean, barring Ewers getting knocked out of this game like he did against Alabama, I think that Texas is just – Far and away, the more talented team. They, they've they got playmakers, guys. They've got dudes on defense. They've got four stars. They've got a few five stars. So um, I think Vegas is obviously factoring that in as well because if these teams were over, evenly matched, I think Texas would be favored by about a field goal here. And Vegas is telling you these teams aren't evenly matched. TCU's got a great offense. They've got a solid defense. But I think you said it. I think... Texas is obviously leading this game at half, right? I just think that's a given. But how much are they leading by? Because if they're leading by two scores or more, I think you have a scenario here where TCU is just not quite able to battle back and pull this one off late like they have um, several times this year. So I think seven is not enough, actually. I think this is a solid 10-plus point win for the Longhorns here at home. They've played well at home. Their, their losses have come on the road. They lost, obviously, one at home against Bama, but they played really well in that game and, and had the tide on the rope. So um, I think this is Texas all the way. I think um, TCU will probably battle back in the second half and make it close, but it'll be too little too late. I got the Longhorns here covering seven uh, pretty comfortably, actually. I like the pick. Uh it could definitely go that way. I mean, I, it would not shock me at all if Texas can cover big. Uh, and that would be a very big win for them, you know. This has big 
championship implications on the line for both of these teams. Obviously, TCU's in the driver's seat right now, being undefeated, but Texas is not totally out of it. Um, so, you know, this is huge for the conference. Could be one of the best games. Uh, so to wrap this all up, I got to ask, what's uh, the most exciting game that you're ready to watch this week? Is it a game that we covered? Is it uh, is it your Georgia Bulldogs that we don't cover today? But it's certainly an interesting game uh, as a fan. What are you most most looking forward to seeing i think i think for me it's um obviously i love watching when georgia bulldogs play um they're a big favorite on the road against mississippi state um i'll obviously be watching that one but it's the first and the last games that we touched on for me that i really want to pay attention to here what's the motivation for bama old miss you know if lsu wins that game at noon i think that could factor in to uh to the to just the intensity that we see both of those teams play with, you know, uh, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin wants to beat Nick Saban. I mean, there, there's there's no more motivation that he needs other than facing off against his old uh, boss, right? Especially now that he knows that it can be done and other Nick Saban assistants have done it. Yeah, Alabama has, uh, has looked shaky. So I'm very interested to see that game, who's able to establish the run and who's able to stop the run. And then obviously that last game that we touched on, Texas is not out of this Big 12 race, man. They've got three losses, but one of those was out of conference to Bama. So if they're sitting there at two conference losses and TCU loses, then there's potentially a scenario where if TCU slips up again, which they could, they've still got big games left on the schedule. Texas is not out of this Big 12 race. So let's not write the Longhorns off. That's a huge game at 7.30. Um, so I think those are the two that I'm probably looking forward to the most. Yeah. I want to see Oregon-Washington. I think this could be such a high-scoring, just electric back-and-forth game where you're seeing big play after big play, both these teams just going up and down the field. Um, if you're a fan of offense, you're a fan of big scoring, I think this is the game to watch for you. Uh, I do agree that this Alabama game has huge implications for both these teams. Uh, they both still have an opportunity to make it to the SEC championship, given they need some help from LSU, but they could. Uh, but I want to see this Oregon game. I, I want to see Bo Nix. Is, is this Bo Nix's Heisman moment? It certainly could be. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with all that, man. Uh, great slate of games, like we said. Make sure you got multiple screens going here um, because lots of good action going on um at night so um thank you guys again for tuning in we love doing this podcast every week guys uh please follow us on instagram if you have not already we're also on twitter both of those handles are at saturday six pod that's at saturday six pod um thank you for listening thank you for following um rating the show on uh, spotify and apple music um uh, make sure you turn on those notifications so that when our episodes drop, boom, it'll pop up there right there on your uh, phone and you'll get an alert and be able to tune in and listen to our picks against the spread. So um, that's it. I'm AJ. He's Tyler. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Saturday Six Pod and we will catch you guys next week. See ya.